from the big screen to the small screen and everything in between. This is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hey guys, welcome to the Screeners Podcast. My name is Chris. This is Chad. I'm Josh. And I'm Daniel. And we're back again to talk all things media, and I am excited to dig in to this week's episode. But before I do, I wanted to invite everybody who's listening to please join in on the conversation. You know, the podcast is so much better when you are a part of it. And so if you have any questions for us, if there are any topics you'd like for us to cover, shoot us an email, screenerscast at gmail.com. Join our Facebook page, send us a message there. I'm telling you, whatever we hear from you guys, we do our very best to include in the show. And so we're excited to have a good group of you guys giving us feedback, making the show better, and we can't wait to do that even more in the future. So let's dig in to this week's episode. Jump cut. Jump cut. All right, so as of this recording, last Monday, Stephen Colbert took over David Letterman's spot at The Late Show on CBS. And I have seen, I think I've seen every episode. I might be half an episode behind. Really? I have, yeah. We, we are big Colbert fans in this house, and so when he came back and had a new show, it went right on the DVR. And so I'm wondering if you guys have had a chance to see any of the new late show and how you think it either compares to the old late show or to Colbert's old show and what you think it brings, if anything, to the late night scene. So I guess we'll start with uh, Chad on this one. I've watched, I haven't watched as much as you, Josh, but I've watched a few episodes. My initial thought is that I really enjoy the new format, which is more comparable to the old Colbert rapport as far as like the multi-camera switching around with his look and the the way the graphics look and all that stuff I like that I think that feels different you know for late night and I think the the best of what I've seen so far has been in his interview style and in the way that he interacts with people I think he's very gifted in that regard he's obviously very funny but the overall impression that I get where where the show doesn't work as much for me personally is believe it or not is in more of the kind of silly comedic bits that they try to do which is more in line with you know a normal late night kind of show uh, so it, it feels more serious to me uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing it just it feels more I don't know. It just feels more serious. So I don't know that that's that's worse or better. It's just different. And so I think it's I think it's a good contrast to Jimmy Fallon, which is obviously complete lunacy and karaoke and dancing, which I think is wonderful. But that's a different vibe as well. So my initial impressions is he I think he's still feeling his way into it. He still seems a little bit awkward. But overall, uh, I think he's I think it's good. I'm not sold that that I, it's something I would want to watch personally every night, but I think it's a I think it's a good start. It's definitely much more relevant than Letterman was when he went out, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I can actually get behind some of that, but more about me later. Chris, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so uh, I'm a cord cutter, <laughs> and uh, it's, you're a what- it, it's been <laughs> ten minutes since you told us that, Chris. <laughs> so uh, I don't actually, obviously, I don't have CBS, and um, the only place I've really seen the Colbert Late Show is in clips, and I've actually quite enjoyed his interview style. So I really haven't seen a whole lot of the bits that you were talking about, uh, Chad, but I have seen um, a lot of his technology interviews that he's done over the last few weeks. He uh, interviewed the the CEO of Uber and Tim Cook and Elon Musk. 
And I find that fascinating. I think he's really good. It's crazy to see him not play his character anymore. Uh, specifically when I saw his Joe Biden interview, I thought that was really like out of left field. I just, I was not expecting that level of uh, deep interview. And I, I actually appreciated it quite a bit as Wonderful. opposed to what normally would happen uh, in a very, like you were saying, uh, Jimmy Fallon, you know, more shallow surface level type stuff. So if he continues to do that, where his interviews become things that people say, look, look, look who Colbert interviewed last night, like John Oliver, like his bits, uh, he does, if, that, if they can become topical and on the news feeds, I think Colbert may have a really big future in, in finding a uh, um, something that David Letterman never had. So I'm actually quite fascinated by it. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing anyway coming out of uh, The Late Show. Well, that's two relatively positive reviews. Daniel, yeah. do you have anything bad to say about Colbert? Not really, no. I I, I love uh, the new show. I'm like Chris. I'm, I don't have cable, I, so I didn't watch oh, the entirety of the show. Yes! Thank you for not saying cord cutter. Oh, I, I, Daniel, I you just went up myself, like 20 points in my book. So That's amazing. Awful. I wouldn't call myself a cord cutter. I would call myself poor, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I've seen a lot of clips as well. Um, And the interview with Joe Biden was was the thing that really caught my eye. Um, I was really intrigued to see how he was going to handle himself not being the character he played for, what was, nine years. And he's handled it pretty well. I think uh, it was it was entertaining to see him be more emotional, be more real, like he was, especially in that interview. Um, and he's still hilarious as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he fares with the Jimmy Fallons uh, of late night. I think I, I I can imagine that he, as far as the main networks go, he'll probably have the network cornered pol- political late night. I think that's probably the direction he, he seems like he'll go. So it'll be interesting to see because Jimmy Jimmy Fallon doesn't, even though he has some politicians on, he doesn't really get political. So yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where where his show goes from here. Wow, is this like is this the first time all the screeners, or at least the first three, um, jury's still out on me? But <laughs> yeah, only everyone you, is when relatively you're going, Josh. except you recorded every single night. I mean, but you know, I'm just saying. Mm, well, I I could sometimes I record things just for Schadenfreude, just because I hate them. You're right, I don't. <laughs> just go. I record it for my wife. It's it's all her. I'll just, just blame her. Just tell us how much you love it. Go ahead. Well, I was I was going to start out actually by saying that the his new late show reminds me of his old show, but he's made it a little more shallow. But it was good to hear everyone else's perspective and remind me that as far as late night shows with his time slot, he's actually much more of an intellectual show than the others. I, I mean, I, I could already. I was already going to say that I enjoy his intro segments where he pretty much does what he did on the first act of the Colbert Report, which is to cover the recent news, political and otherwise mostly political right now because we have Trump to talk about. But I, I didn't really notice what Chad was talking about from the production side of things. I didn't notice that he was still doing the multicam pitches. But you're totally right. It is He has completely migrated the Colbert Report to the first bit of the late show. I'm with you, Chad, on the whole his late night bits thing that everyone has to do before they throw to the first interview. I don't think he's found his niche yet. There have been a couple that have been funny and a couple that have been flat and it, it's been hit or miss, but overall I still love Colbert. His band is terrible. 
Joe Biden interview was terrific. Uh, the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all these late night shows really take a little while to get their footing. So I think, I don't know, I think he'll really find it, especially since he's been in late night for so long already. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to remember, this is, you know, CBS. He's taking over for David Letterman. So I feel like he's trying to play to, you know, both audiences for a little while until he figures it out. But I, I like the point, I think, Daniel, that you made that this is going to be the more political, uh, more, I hope to be a little bit more. Not say intellectual. Say it, Chris. That's what I mean. Intellectual. <laughs> <clears throat> more intellectual, more your thinking man's late night show than uh, Jimmy Fallon, who is more, you know, entertainment, fun, schlocky type stuff. Well, so so, so if that's what you're into, um, I've actually heard, I don't know whether he's started yet, but Seth Myers is supposed to be retooling his show after, I don't even know what network after Seth Myers is on. Yeah, yeah, after Fallon, to be aimed toward the more intellectual, academic. Yeah, I've, I've watched some of, of that. And, and that's, he's, his, the first year of his show was pretty it was, it, was rough. Rough. it was rough. It was rough. Yeah, it was very rough. And I think he'll do better doing the political stuff. But uh, Colbert is still going to crush him in that. So yeah, I mean, so, you know, Colbert can invite Tim Cook. You know what I mean? You, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get the level of interviews and and people to show up on Seth Meyers. It's just Absolutely. it's not going to happen. Well, he's aiming more towards authors and academics. I think is the oh. idea. Okay, so maybe even taking it a, a step above what Colbert is doing. Then. I mean, that, Ivory yeah. Tower and all. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's And let's not, let, I mean, except for Josh, let's not have our pretentious hats on too hard here. I mean, Jimmy Fallon oh. has done some great things in late night. Jimmy Fallon oh, hang on, hang on. absolutely that, reinvigorated what yeah. was just awful no for so please, many years. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Jimmy Fallon is doing something that I don't like. I, 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 I frequently watch his stuff I, I love what he's doing he's super movie. talented Lip-sync there's battles. no there's no doubt all i'm saying yeah. is is that you're getting a different kind of interview which is wonderful uh, colbert is like i said he's interviewing ceos of tech companies he's interviewing vice presidents and asking questions that aren't just surface level which is normally what you get from this type of show that's sure. all i'm saying that's true so yeah so good we've got options absolutely that's great yeah. it's good to have two different shows not you know the same I think one that that wraps it up. Is that four thumbs up, eight thumbs up? I give it. I give it eight thumbs up. All right. Myself, I have eight thumbs. I don't know what that means. You're listening to the Screeners podcast. I am a huge fan of bonus content on DVDs, Blu-rays, and now digital downloads. Chris, and how so- long has it been since you bought a DVD? You liar. He's a cord cutter. He can't like, watch <laughs> no. them on them. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying I've been a fan of these oh, things. Okay? okay. Thank you. Thank you. In okay. the past. For many years, they, they started on DVDs and then Blu-rays, and now I'm purchasing digital content with bonus material. You didn't buy the Criterion Collection so, VHS edition of Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did. You probably bought three or four different versions of Goodwill Hunting. I, I'm, I'm sure that you own at least three or four. Do you like apples? Oh, boy. So, all right. Like so apples. my question is to you guys, is what has been your favorite bonus material from a, a film that you've purchased? Because I know that, you know, there can be some serious, really great content that maybe some people had, don't even realize that they had access to, you know, after they watched their, uh, their, their main presentation. So, Josh, do you have a, a special bonus material memory that you'd like to share with our, our listeners? You just 
you just completely threw this one out of left field. And just for the record, I, I have no idea what that idiom means. I don't know anything about baseball or but I hear people say this. You threw it out of left field. And so I'm going to give you an answer that's as much of a non sequitur <laughs> ridiculous as your question. And the only bonus material that comes to mind <laughs> I I can't even like say this without laughing, but the only thing that comes to mind is does anyone remember Snatch? Yes. With, okay. Wait, with what are Brad we talking Pitt, about? The movie. <laughs> British <laughs> British movie Snatch, Chad. Yes, of course. Okay. So the Let's start over. The, the French start subtitles over. on that movie. The French subtitles in the movie Snatch have have some great French and or French Canadian um, swearing and puns and just vulgar idioms that made me laugh almost as much as the actual British film. So that is my answer. The French subtitles on Snatch, because that's all I got. Wow. Okay. I don't think Josh understood the right. question, Chris. I don't think he did either. That's okay. I didn't. That's, that's that, my, it's bonus for me because honestly, that, that without came out of left field. I wouldn't have seen those. Uh, honestly, so. that's uh, that's why I put Josh first because I figure that he would give us some, you know. Wouldn't have a reasonable answer. So, You're welcome. I did not disappoint, did I? So here's the not. deal. He just gave us the Jimmy Fallon answer. Daniel, I'm expecting a Colbert answer. Ooh, oh, that's wow. so, yeah, that's high, a high, high mark there. Um, well, I have two answers for you. So the the generic answer is is the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. Oh yeah, some of the best bonus material uh, because it's never yes. ending. Yes. Um, I don't know if anybody in the world has watched everything on the the extended edition special features because it's just hours and hours and days and days. Cool bear but, hats. <laughs> but uh, I've watched many of uh, of those special features and they're they're. Pretty fantastic, pretty extensive, and I love the um, extended editions in themselves, but that's another discussion for another time. My second part of my answer for this is I love Apatow films, Judd Apatow films, and those have some of the best special features out of any movie. They have so many uh, bloopers and uh, gag reels. They have this thing they call Lionel-Rama, where it's just uh, alternate takes, because uh, they, you know, you know, Apatow films, they're just full of imp- improvisation, and so... You can watch uh, so many extended special features. In addition to the commentaries are freaking hilarious. The commentary on Superbad is one of the funniest I've ever listened to. It's just, it has nothing to do with the movie. They're just just insulting each other and making fun of each other the whole time. <laughs> probably drunk. Uh, yeah. Oh, prob- I'm sure. Hi, more like it. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> Gosh, so... So yeah, those are some of my favorite special features uh, of all time. That's a good awesome. recommend. I've never listened. I have super bad with the commentary, but I've never listened to it. I will definitely do that. Do yeah, it. no, I will too. I that, that's that's great. That's good. See, this is the reason why I did this because I want to know what's out there and what I'm missing because there's so much. Chad, Luke, did my answer help you, Chris? No, not even a little. <laughs> not even a little. Okay, Chad, how about you? Well, yeah, I think it goes in the in the pantheon of of this question is the Lord of the Rings. Uh, that was the one that immediately jumped to mind. But this was actually a good question. It made me think about it. There's so many great special features, but one that I really, really remember sticking out that I like that I didn't expect to like, which is probably why it jumped up there, was the original Sin City. Huh. Robert Rodriguez. I don't know if you guys have you you guys seen that movie. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So it's all green screen, and it has a guest uh, directing spot from Quentin Tarantino. He directed a scene, and there's lots, which I know Josh likes. So there's lots of lots of technical things at, at play in that film, and there's a good couple of hours that are unlike pre-produced pieces that are more like many documentary promotional pieces. It has a couple of scenes where it literally just runs the camera for like 20 minutes behind the scenes while they're shooting and doing new setups and setting the light and running through with actors. And it's just very fascinating if you're interested in behind the scenes kind of stuff related to filmmaking. So I remember watching that uh, when it first came out, probably three or four times through. So if you're just interested in just the craft of filmmaking, Sin City, it's hard to go wrong. It's really great. Nice, nice. Okay, the one that came to my mind, and and I think the reason is because we're going to be doing an interview uh, with Brett Culp, who is directing a documentary about Superman. There is, on the Blu-ray of Man of Steel, this the bonus feature disc in that, features the feature length it has the feature length film and you watch the film with different either the director himself Zack Snyder or the wardrobe folks or the writer the some of the actors and you actually are watching the film and as you're doing that they come in um, on the side and it's throughout the entire length of the film you just have these people just walk on like in front of the screen I guess is what I would say and they talk a little bit about it and then the movie fades away and then they show you what they're talking about and there's like behind the scenes content and it's just it's like a i think it's almost a three and a half hour experience of i mean it is incredible if you haven't watched it sounds much better than the film it is it is and, and, and it makes you appreciate the film just all the artistry that went into it and you know all the different symbology that's in all these things because these people spent years of their life making this film uh, and you know there's stuff that just goes by in a flash that you would miss otherwise and it also spoke to me the power of blu-ray because it it's only could exist on a blu-ray disc the way that way they do it it's, it's not just edited it's actually the 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 software of the Blu-ray moving these pictures around, and uh, it's just really, it's cool. It's its its a very cool experience. So if you haven't checked it out and you've got Man of Steel, throw in the uh, the bonus disc and check it out. I think you'll really you'll really have a good time with it. So, I have just, never just, watched that. I need to do that. I've got you it. You should. Does your copy of Man of Steel have the accidental Hobbit special feature on it like mine does? I don't know. What? I didn't notice that. Yeah, a lot of copies had a had a special feature called New Zealand, home to Middle Earth, and it was like an accidental <laughs> thing. You better hold really? that collectors edition. Yeah, hold hold yeah. on to that and then sell it on eBay in ten years. My copy That's of hilarious. Man of Steel is in a tin Superman crest, which cannot be touched yes. but yes, once a is. month. Thank you very much. <laughs> you can only touch it once a month when the uh, the, the the moon when is the moon is in the right position. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I hope that you guys uh, got a little something out of that, and uh, we're going to move on to our next segment. Welcome to the main event. All right. So this episode of the podcast, we have a double header. We're going to be reviewing two films, and the first one is Steve Jobs, The Man in the Machine. Thank you for coming. We're going to make some history together today. Steve Jobs had one speed, full on. I saw my first computer when I was 12. I was so fascinated by this. Time Magazine says single-handedly he created the industry. Working in this garage, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak built the first Apple computer board. It was the magic. We could influence the world. Hello, I am Macintosh. He wanted to have a foot in both worlds. He wanted to be the renegade, but he also wanted to be legit. 
His stuff was beloved, but it wasn't that he was beloved. He was paid 7,000, he told me we were paid 700 and he wrote me a check for 350. And that hurts because we were friends. Steve did create reality distortion around him. He could convince people to do something they thought was impossible. This is a story that's amazing. It's got theft, stolen property, extortion, there's sex in there. He knows he's the father. Somebody should make a movie out of this. Creativity is a lot about anarchy. He was not that much fun most of the time, but there are those moments when suddenly He's the only person who could have ever done it. What would you say about the responsibilities of power? Power? What is that? Okay, so this is a 2015 documentary by director Alex Gibney, and the IMDb description of the film is actually relatively short, and it states this. A look at the personal and private life of the late Apple CEO, Steve Jobs. Okay, so uh, this is the documentary, obviously, about Steve Jobs' life, and um, I'm really interested to hear what you guys thought about it. Alex Gibney, the director of uh, this film, also directed another documentary that has been fairly popular over the last uh, several months, and that was uh, Going Clear. We actually reviewed it here on the podcast, and we all seem to enjoy that film, if I remember correctly. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts were uh, on Steve Jobs, The Man in the Machine, and just kind of get an overall idea for, for what you thought of the film. So, Daniel, what did you think of Steve Jobs? I really liked it. You know, as with Going Clear, I haven't seen any other Alex Gibney films, but I imagine they're, they have the same sort of slow-moving, slow, slow burn uh, uh, of a pace. Um, so, for some, like my wife, that can be hard to get through, but I, I loved it. I thought it um, really analyze Steve Jobs really appropriately and um, ask a lot of interesting questions. It doesn't just sort of go through his life and tell us, you know, what happened, but it, it really investigates um, the idea of Steve Jobs, the, the modern myth of Steve Jobs and not just um, his life. And um, it, it, it sort of covers some pretty familiar ground for anybody who has either watched the awful uh, Ashton Kutcher movie or just looked into, into his life. So it's not exactly groundbreaking in that respect, but it still did a great job of grabbing my attention, keeping me engrossed in the subject. And the thing that I love the most about it is, is it really had me sort of looking at myself as an Apple lover, um, as a Mac enthusiast, and looking why in the world I'm in love with these products um, and, and seeing if I'm just in love with them because of the myth of Steve Jobs or, or if it's because of the products themselves. So it asked a lot of interesting questions, and, and I really appreciated that. I, I loved how it showed how ruthless and determined he was, and he's, he was set out to change the world, and, um, and that it's easy to be upset at, how, at, at all the things he did and how he treated people, but the fact is he sort of did change the world, and... Um, and so the, the movie sort of asks, is that worth it? So, I, yeah, I really loved it. I, I thought it was a great palate cleanser from the Ashton Kutcher uh, Jobs movie and, um, and a good primer for the upcoming Aaron Sorkin Steve Jobs. So, yeah, I thought it was great. Okay. Uh, Josh, what did you think? Okay. Daniel kind of ended there with what I was going to start with, which is just how many Steve Jobs movies are we going to have? No kidding. There's... Ashton Kutcher, there's documentary, and actually when you propose this as something to see for the podcast, 
I had it completely confused with the Aaron Sorkin movie because I didn't know there were two literally coming out <laughs> almost simultaneously. Right. I was like, yeah. oh, an Aaron Sorkin movie. Great. Wait, what is this? But yeah, we, we all did like Going Clear and like Going Clear, this was a very well-made documentary. It kind of, I'm the opposite, well, almost opposite of all you guys in that I completely resist the Apple myth and I can't stand their ad campaign. I use some of their products and if they're the right tool for the job, great. But the company's overall ethos really rubs me the wrong way. Um, so this, and I had heard things about Steve Jobs before that were kind of unsavory. And so this documentary kind of confirmed things that I've heard before while introducing new information. And so in that sense, I like the fact that it confirmed my bias and agreed with me. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm still sensitive to the the narration in this movie was really overbearing. Uh -huh. I'm really sensitive to all the leading questions and foregone conclusions that he has after almost every act. It was insulting to the audience. He's, he's asking these juvenile leading questions. Now that Apple was Goliath, to whom was Jobs giving the finger? Shouldn't yeah. he have cared about the people who touched the iPhones before the customers? They, they were questions that the audience could have asked themselves given the footage he's showing. And it's like he doesn't trust the audience that Apple is so strong in the culture and so in our foundation that he doesn't trust his viewers to make the damning conclusions and he has to do everything for them. And so that kind of annoyed me a little bit. And I don't know how much... Since this is a documentary, are we doing a spoiler section? Or? I don't, no. I don't no. think so. I mean, spoilers, okay. for, spoilers for real life. So there you go. Yeah, fair enough. So the documentary mentions Jobs' second family just once, kind of in passing, and then completely leaves it aside. Like, the stuff he did to his first family was terrible, yep. and the documentary uses that to its advantage, but then doesn't exactly. talk at all about his second family. And so I'm left wondering, did he at all have a change of heart or anything like that? And so I hate to sound like I'm defending any of this, because everything I've heard about what it's like to work at Apple and their Chinese manufacturing factories. It's all just appalling. But going into content a little bit again, they have this personal anecdote about this foreman, floor foreman at Foxconn who lost a prototype and was like mistreated and beaten by guards and stuff like that. And they hold jobs personally responsible for that a little bit. And it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. Anyway, so... Overall, it was a well-made movie, and of course, you know, I agree with the thesis and everything because I agreed with it before I watched it, but parts of it felt almost like Michael Moore-ish, and I resented a little bit of it because he was a little bit smarmy throughout the whole movie. I, I don't remember in Going Clear, did he do any narration like this? He did. Or is yes. it just that Scientology yeah, is so unforgivable that we you know, just looked he, over he, it? He always does this. And as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll talk about it. But yeah, no, this is kind of his signature. Uh, he is v similar to Michael Moore, except he doesn't show his face. It's always voiceover with him. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Michael Moore is the main character in his documentary. So that's why almost Michael Moore is not quite as, quite as out there. But And then so... At the ending, suddenly Alex Gibney is Neil Postman, and and we have we all have a college professor, I think, who uh, yeah, 
who's a huge Neil Postman fan, and you know who you are if you're listening. So I mentioned Neil Postman in a podcast. <laughs> I, I, demand, I, I demand but, bonus points. There you go. <laughs> That's right. On my Can next I have quiz. Extra credit, please. <laughs> um, All right. So uh, suddenly at the end, he's Neil Postman, and he becomes very philosophical and asks us to look within ourselves, which completely turns oh. away from the entire theme of the documentary. And then it ends. So. Oh, good. Okay. That's all I got. Awesome. All right. Chad, what did you think? Well, I was actually very interested to hear Daniel say that he was also a big Mac enthusiast because I don't think there's anybody on the planet that is as big a Mac evangelist as Chris is. So you two guys together, it's like two positives making a negative maybe. I don't know. But (laughs) believe it or not, I am almost 100% in lockstep with Josh. And so I was just going through my notes and the first thing that I wrote after I watched this was this is immaculately crafted. It's beautiful. It's shot. The talking heads in this film are gorgeous. I mean, they're absolutely gorgeous. The use of animation, the construct of the documentary itself is just gorgeous. But I feel as if, and you guys touched on it a little bit, but I feel as if the sentiment and kind of the the point of view, the aggressive point of view, I should say, that he took in Going Clear is carried over into this film in a way that is not only unfair, but is it also does a disservice to the entire premise of the of the piece, which, you know, he starts off by saying why did so many people weep for Steve when he passed away around the world? And I wanted to explore this and find out what was going on. But then a large, very large percentage of this movie is not even about Steve Jobs. It's about Apple, and it's about corporate structure and policy, and it's and it's taken on in a way that is not uh, presenting the facts necessarily. It's a point of view, which I'm okay with that. Directors, when they take a documentary, they take a point of view, but... When it got to that point in this film, it it also became boring for me. Uh, now, to be fair, I have read the Walter Isaacson book by, about Steve Jobs, so a lot of this information isn't new. But the, the parts for me that really resonated were the parts when he was talking to the mother of Lisa, and when he was dealing with the ending, where you know when he was talking about his cancer, and we were talking, seeing snippets from Wozniak talking about some of their personal interaction getting to who Steve Jobs was. I really enjoyed that stuff. And then as soon as it got into the more direct attacks, per se, I guess you would say, on Apple as a whole, as an entity, uh, just as a film for me, it became less interesting. And so th- it's one of those things where like, I finished it and I, was, I just felt like it was very well done. I don't have a lot of problems with it philosophically because a documentary is a documentary and you, a director brings to it whatever point of view he wants to take but for me it just didn't it didn't connect it didn't I didn't think it was a a huge smear piece but also just kind of felt uneasy enough about it that I just didn't enjoy it honestly I just I didn't enjoy it I, and and I loved going clear so I was really surprised that I didn't uh, that I didn't connect to it yeah, it's interesting with what you say. Sorry to cut you off, Chris. That's okay. Um, it's interesting what you say about a documentary, the filmmaker bringing to it what he brings to it, because I have I have kind of a different expectation to a documentaries in that I almost expect them to adhere to the same ethics as journalists, 
right. and be somewhat objective, whereas it sounds like you think of documentaries as an extended I like do. opinion piece yeah, or position I, I, piece. I, do. I don't I, think I, they ever do, I, I, especially in these kind of things. I think movies, documentaries are not news. Right. You know I, I, mean? I don't think it's possible for... Even in even in news, in the nightly news, we're getting a slant, some slant. So I don't think it's humanly possible to have a completely objective piece like this because as soon as you turn a camera on in front of somebody, we all know this because we've interviewed people, all of us on this podcast have interviewed people, you get the version of that person that they want to present. And so uh, right. for me, I have turned the corner to where, even with Michael Moore, where he is blatantly misrepresenting the facts and just flat out lying in some cases. But even still, that's his purview. For me, I've just kind of turned the turned the coin and said, I'm going to expect this, some, some level of this anyway. Okay, so let me just say a little bit uh, about what I thought. I'm a huge Alex Gibney fan. Um, I first watched Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room. I really like that movie. That's great. Um, a couple of, uh, about a year ago, he came out with We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks, which is also very good, and then Going Clear. We Steal Secrets is fantastic, actually. It is great. And that these are all Alex Gibney films, um, all about a strong leader that is going for a fall or is about to fall or doing something that he would consider to be wrong or controversial. And <clears throat> honestly, I've, I've enjoyed all these films because I felt like I kind of agreed with where he was going <clears throat> and then watching this movie it made me second guess what I thought about going clear we still secrets and Enron in that I feel like he does bring a lot of his personal uh, belief and um, steering the the narration almost to the point of being mean-spirited in this movie it just like you said Josh like he made two points that weren't very connected at all and tried to put them together in the same space and say, see how bad of a person he is because a person committed suicide in a Foxconn plant all the way on the other side of the world. It's Steve Jobs' fault. And I'm just like, what am I, are you serious? Like, is this, there is a difference between the Apple Corporation and Steve Jobs. And I think that that's the thing that was most difficult for me. I, I feel like he started off saying, I want to make a Steve Jobs documentary that's not a puff piece. Because everything I see right now, and I totally agree with this, is messianic. You know, he even says that at the beginning. <laughs> no doubt. It's like Steve Jobs oh, yeah. is, is the second coming, and he's amazing, and it's fantastic. I never believe that. I, I, I like Apple products because I think they're the best, genuinely. I, I've looked at other stuff, and I, I tend to think that that is the better product. Now, of course, that's an opinion of mine. I don't think it's your, to your salvation whether or not you have an iPhone or an Android device. It's fine. If you're in, go all in, Chris. That's right. But And I do. And I, I like the stuff. But at the same time, I felt like he went as far, he went into that mean-spirited, heavy-handedness, especially at the end, the last like 10 minutes of this movie where he does that whole like, he shows the iPhone on the screen and then you see his reflection and then it's the Apple logo and then the credits. I was just like, boy, I, I don't, I really, I was, none of the information was new. And then also the thing that made me realize that um, there really wasn't a whole lot here is he didn't really interview anybody that had a positive uh, view of Steve. That was the thing that really made me realize, man, he he must have already knew what he was doing, and he went out and um, interviewed people that he wanted to say the things that he wanted to say. And that's why I'm worried about Scientology and the Going Clear film and Enron and WikiLeaks, because you know, if it's always that way, if he's always 
crafted a story and then he goes out and get those interviews or if people wouldn't give him interviews because they knew what the kind of movie he was going to make, that kind of changes things a little bit for me. And so even though I, I, I find Steve Jobs fascinating and I, I want to watch that, I wanted to see it, at the end of the day, I felt like that mo- the, this movie was a little mean-spirited and just kind of didn't give a, a full picture of who Steve Jobs was or even what Apple is. Like, I, I don't know. That, that's just the way I came out of it. That's, uh, that's entirely reasonable, and I think I agree with you. I think I have a couple counterpoints just in what you just said about him not interviewing anyone who was positive about Steve. Yeah. In that I think a couple of the people who were with him maybe a decade or two ago, uh, the older guy who worked on the, the, the original, Apple II or yeah, Apple One. Apple One. I couldn't tell how he felt about Steve. You're talking about the, 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 the Apple II where they put the signatures in the Yeah, in the yeah, machine? that guy. Well, but remember, his, his story, the main story that they wanted him to tell was the fact that he lost his family. I don't. I disagree with that. I don't yeah. think that's his main story because oh, he came. Yes, it is. He came. Yes, back, it was he came, very watch, watch the trailer. Watch the trailer. The thing that he wants the, to sell us, and that is the thing that that, that, yeah, that guy is saying. I don't is care I what the, my family. I don't care what the trailer oh. says in the actual Trailer's film. He comes back to it and clearly is emotionally connected to the time that he had. There even says oh, wow. these people are crazy, but you can never do it again, and we're the only ones in the world that could have done it. So there's clearly a sense of positive connection there. No. No, no, no. I, oh, yeah. I, I would, oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah, no watch, watch the interview again because the last I, thing he says, and we're talking about the guy with the glasses, right? Yes. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. The last thing he says is, is that, you know, he's, it's almost resigned to the fact. He's like, you know, those, those, those days, you know, we were doing something crazy and, but, you know, I guess, you know, we really were the ones that could do it. Yeah, and it was I more can, like he was resigned to the fact. I completely that, disagree with that. With I don't your, think he. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether we can, any of us can really interpret what he was really right. thinking because. Hey, it, I feel like he was conflicted and couldn't decide what he thought about it. All I'm saying is that he didn't interview somebody who was fully on board positive about Steve. Saying Except like, the, the 12-year-old kid who thinks Steve Jobs invented the world. Again, he didn't interview him. He didn't interview that. that was a, that, That's true. This is the problem that I have is, is that all the footage that he has of Apple executives or um, Steve Wozniak uh, or anybody is all uh, just – like interviews or, or talks they've given elsewhere and he just reused even you know Steve's voice and all that stuff obviously like all that stuff was edited in a way to 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 give a, a misrepresentation I would say of what they really think especially like Steve Wozniak and I just it was just really interesting because even Steve Wozniak he he saw a little bit of the of the movie and he was just like it what I said it seemed just a little mean you know what I mean it just it didn't seem like that's not the guy that I know um, so anyway, that, that's all I'm saying is, is that anybody who could have sp- spoken a counterpoint to some of the points he was making, especially in the last third of this movie, nobody was there to really defend Steve. That's all I'm saying. You were, Chris. You were. No, I, <laughs> look, I, Steve was ruthless. I, 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 he was a businessman, and he, he did a great job at being a, a ruthless businessman to get things done. We wouldn't have the ability to choose a phone on any carrier that we wanted if it wasn't for what he did with AT&T and the iPhone. Um, he does things that, you know, we just, I, I don't know. I, I, he was ruthless. He made people bend to his will. And like they said, like he was willing to uh, backdate stock options. Of course he did. No matter how illegal it was. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, obviously he had, he had flaws. I'm not saying that he didn't. And obviously he made mistakes. Duh. But the way that Alex Gibney edited this movie, I just felt was more mean-spirited. Yeah, but I, I don't think that it's incumbent upon a director to have balance. 
necessarily. It's 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 uh, it's his position. It's not right. I have right. a story to tell. Me. That I, depresses me. That that sure. is sure. I know, but, but just, if uh, I have a story to tell as a director, I'm going to tell it based on my lifetime of experiences and my point of view. It as a documentary, then what is a documentary? A documentary is just another form of fiction based on real events. That's all it yeah, is. I, if you went to anybody in the world and asked them to name one documentary filmmaker, the first person they would name is Michael Moore. And if you're saying you don't think Michael Moore is skewed in his views, I don't think you've watched a Michael Moore movie. So I think I, I, I think to go into a, any documentary and not uh, be looking for the skew, not be looking for ha- th- their vision, um, I, I, don't, I don't think you can do that. So... I, I don't think we can specifically blame this movie. I agree, it's it's skewed, but I don't think we can specifically blame this movie and say it's bad, right? Uh, more bad than other documentaries, I should say, because it's skewed. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's the reason why I didn't enjoy it is because I thought it skewed too far. It was too heavy-handed, they especially. Went, they went the, after your Messiah. Is that why, why it was, Chris? <laughs> no, I, I listen. I've read. I've read several. I mean, I I love the Steve Jobs uh, story. Um, I've read Becoming Steve Jobs. I've read the Walter Isings, Walter Isingson book. I, you know, I've listened to a lot of stuff on his life, and so I know all this stuff. Obviously, he wasn't perfect. I again, I'm just saying the way this movie was put together felt mean. Oh, it's, and the sad part is, I agree. Yeah. Well, because it, it it is it's mean. <laughs> it's, no, well, it's it's mean, but okay, it's also so, a lot of it is true. That's true. Right. It, so, it can so, be true and not mean, though. I'm just saying I the way the, mean, the, the tone he takes is mean. The absence so of balance doesn't necessarily mean that it's inaccurate. I totally agree. I totally right. agree with you. So that that's that's all fair. And actually, my problem with it isn't at all that it's mean. He can be as mean as he wants. He can be mean to Scientology. My problem is that it's insulting to the audience. Right. My problem is that he asks these ridiculous questions of the audience that it's it's... Either he doesn't trust his viewers or he doesn't trust himself to be able to communicate the hatred that he's really feeling, and he has to just hammer it home. I agree with you, Josh. That's what annoys me. Yeah, I, I think in this that. case, yeah. it's, it's he doesn't trust his viewers because I, I, the transitions, as you mentioned, were unbelievably heavy-handed, so much so that they, they make you roll your eyes. I totally agree. Uh, certainly in the section where it's talking about Foxconn and all of that stuff was just, I was like, what is this? This is ridiculous. Now, I, I agree with that to a certain extent. Of course, it was very heavy-handed, and obviously Steve Jobs isn't to blame for you know a guy's suicide in the plant, of course, but I think possibly the point he was trying to make, albeit heavy-handed, the point was that... A, a, a lot of people love Apple products because of Steve Jobs. Um, not everybody, but a great majority of people do. Um, if you just look at the, the all their Apple conferences that they have, everybody's always saying, oh, Steve Jobs is rolling over in his grave and all this stuff. Everybody's still talking about Steve Jobs in regards to Apple. So I think the point he was trying to make is Apple as a corporation needs to be held responsible for these things. And uh, Steve Jobs is obviously clearly the face of it and 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 he should have been taking responsibility for for these things that were happening so i don't know i, I it was heavy-handed but i i understood why it was in there i don't know 
I agree. I just think it could have been handled more elegantly. I think we've said enough about Steve Jobs, the man in the machine. But before we go, I want to find out if you guys think it's av- I'm sorry, we didn't even mention this. It's available to rent on iTunes or Amazon or any of your other video on Google demand Play sources. on demand. By the way, yeah. I, I wonder video. what Steve Jobs would think about this tune, this movie being available day one with uh, you, on iTunes. You know, <laughs> you know what's funny. You know what's funny is is that it's the number one documentary, but you have is. to go to documentary in order to find it because they do not have it on its on their main page normally they do you know they they feature the the top film in all the genres they don't do it here i wonder why it's a conspiracy all right so uh that's my question daniel should someone rent this movie and watch it i think so i think it's worth worth a watch i mean uh regardless of what what you think of the film you know it um it's interesting to take a, a look another look at Steve Jobs, other than the the as the Messiah of technology that that he's usually viewed as, that he is. So yes, go see it. <clears throat> okay, and then uh, Josh, what do you think? Should someone rent this film? So I think you should rent the movie or see the movie, but don't turn your brain off and just keep thinking critically. I think that should be your motto: keep thinking critical. Keep calm and think critically. There you go. That's nice. <laughs> Chad, how about you, man? You know, I, I'm really torn on this because on from the technical side, if you enjoy documentaries as just in general, it's it's a very well made film. But it's boring, honestly. It's not really it was to me. And again, I I knew a lot of this stuff, so I this I'm not the I'm not the target audience for this movie, but to me it just didn't get enough down into the core of who the man was as much as it was kind of an assassination piece on the whole cor- corporate culture, which I'm okay with. But just it's and it's long. It's like two hours and seven minutes long, and so it feels long to me. So I'm kind of on the fence. Uh, take it or leave it. I would say absolutely not. There's no reason. Don't waste your time. And if read. you've read all the books. I was just about to say, thank you very much. I would recommend reading or listening to Becoming Steve Jobs, The Evolution of a Reckless Upstart into a Visionary Leader uh, by Brent uh, Schlender and uh, Rick Tetzeli, I think is their, the author's names. It's fantastic. It's a great look into Steve Jobs' life that I believe is fair. It's not a puff piece in any way, shape, or form, but it's just a good overall view of his life and what he went through in trying to create the products that we love. Okay, all right, so enough about Steve Jobs. Let's move to our next film. Welcome to the main event. All right, and our next film in our main event is M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. Every day. It's a getting close. Are you holding my camera properly? Swerve, girl. Uh, Stop, both of you. Hi, Mom. My parents asked if their grandchildren could visit them for a week. Here we are. This is where our mom grew up. I've wanted to spend time with you for so long. Miss you guys. Mom, we're having a great time. I have not seen your Nana this happy in years. <laughs> Bedtime here is 9.30. It's probably best you two shouldn't come out of your room after that. See you in the morning. 9.30? 9.30. I think Nana's not feeling well. Grandmother is fine. It's like somebody talking in their sleep. What's he doing? They're weird during the day. I was just cleaning it. And even weirder at night? Mom, there's something wrong with Nana and Pop Pop. 
They're just old. Bear with it for a couple of days. <laughs> I'm sad. It's all over. <laughs> Good to get you. Mom, you need to come right now. So the IMDb description reads, A single mother finds that things in her family's life go very wrong after her two young children visit their grandparents. Hence the title, The Visit. So this is M. Night Shyamalan's, uh, people are calling it M. Night Shyamalan's return uh, to form. It's, it's sort of his return to, to horror movies after many years of garbage. So, Chad, what did you think of The Visit? I hate that I'm going first on this. I hate it because I'm, <laughs> I'm the person on this podcast that is an unashamed lover of horror films. I love horror movies. And not just because, not just as throwaway fun. I think horror films historically have been used as social commentary with great metaphor. Now, there's lots of garbage out there, but there's some of the best movies ever made have been horror films. So I just am predisposed to like the whoa, genre. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, hang on. Back up. What, what are the best films of all time that have the been The Exorcist horror? is one of the greatest films ever made and it's unquestionably the best horror film of all time not not even there's not even a question okay but besides Dawn of the, the dead rosemary's baby uh, i mean we'll uh, just keep okay. we'll, we'll keep going anyway uh, wow. that's not the point don't try to derail me before i'm getting going here i know you guys are about to pile on me and i'm trying to prepare myself for it and let me talk <laughs> for a couple minutes and then you can all tell me how dumb i am i think m night Shyamalan is one of the great case studies in directing history when it comes to film. His first three movies were wonderful, in my opinion. I Four. loved the, I don't. I didn't like The Village as much. I think The Village was good. I don't think it's as bad as historically it's been made, made out to be. But I love The Sixth Sense. I really love Unbreakable, and I think Signs is fantastic. Uh, Village, not so much, and then it gets really bad from there. Really, really bad. And so the bar is, has already been set kind of low for a quote-unquote return to form because it just has to not be god-awful to be <laughs> acceptable. And I think that's what you get with The Visit. I, I don't love this movie, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was entertained by it from the from the standpoint of he is clearly gifted when it comes to to composition, uh, where he places the camera, and in this specific kind of film where it's not really found footage because it's, and we're not we're not I don't think this is too spoilery to say that the idea here is that these two uh, grandkids, one of them is an aspiring young filmmaker and decides to make a little documentary about the visit to her grandparents. So it's not found footage in as much as she's actually trying to do you know shot composition and all that stuff. So as as a result of that, a lot of the film looks good. It's not all shaky cam. And so that genre, when done well, like I think it is here, really lends itself to a lot of tension, a lot of good moments based around, as in most good horror films, sound design. The sound design in this movie is really strong. I saw this movie by myself today in a theater this afternoon, which is, and the sound is super loud, which is another uh, another element to uh, to probably my enjoyment of it. I just thought that I don't know that this movie has a lot on its mind. I don't know that it has a lot to say necessarily. I guess there's, and I haven't, I saw this just a couple of hours before we were recording, so I didn't have a lot of time to put my, all of my thoughts together. I guess there's maybe some sort of subtext in there about our fear of the elderly or aging or something like that. I haven't really had time to unpack all that 
for myself. But in general, it has good jump scares. Uh, the performances, I thought, were really good. The The grandmother in particular, I don't have her name in front of me. I thought her performance was really outstanding. I like the siblings. The little boy in particular was really funny. I laughed a lot in this movie. So yeah, so overall, it's not great. It's certainly not up to where his earlier work was, but it's a tremendous step up from where it has been. And uh, I enjoyed it. I was entertained. I wanted to know what happened. Clearly, the last third of this movie doesn't live up to the setup in the first two thirds. So it kind of peters out at the end. But overall, I can't I can't say that I wasn't entertained and that I didn't enjoy enjoy it. So yeah, so I enjoyed it. So there you go. Attack. All right. So our <laughs> so yeah. So our our resident horror expert. Loved the film, unsurprisingly. Don't Let's say the word loved. I didn't say love, Daniel. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> it's said, I'm the Alex Gibney. All, time. all right, yeah. so. Alex Gibney. <laughs> all right, let's uh, see what Josh had to say. I can hardly wait. All right, so, Daniel, when you introed this film, you said uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Many Years of Garbage, and that is spot on. Unfortunately, there is no form to return to. You said it's a return to form. <laughs> There's nothing to come back to. Uh, the visit did not disappoint in the sense that it was most definitely an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> and that is to say that his movies are so just aggressively formulaic. The good thing I can say about that is that it's, it's definitely his formula. No one else is doing it, and he's not ripping it off of anyone else. I, I guess the bad news is that no one else emulates it because once you've seen one movie like that, there's no need to make a second one, but he just keeps doing it. You know what you're, we know what you're doing from the start. You start with an overly precocious child or children, main characters. You make those characters so obnoxious that the audience wants to punch them. Use the audience's resulting moral confusion about feelings of violence toward a minor to distract from the foreshadowing that they, they'll realize later that you're bludgeoning them with. The whole time. And then there's a big twist. Oh, no one saw it coming because they wanted to punch the kids. Bam, hit them with a little moral life lesson in plain English in the last five minutes of the movie. Cut, print, count your money. And that is an M. Night Shyamalan movie. But enough about Steve Jobs, the man in the machine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. M. Night Shyamalan is, you know, the Steve Jobs of... I, I wouldn't call him a horror director. He's, they're thrillers at best, but I guess... There are jump scenes, so they're horror movies. I this one is a horror movie for sure. I don't think his earlier stuff is. Well, well, we'll get to later why I think the fact that it is a horror movie and why you interpret it as a horror movie is a socially irresponsible thing. But <laughs> that's, that's for the oh section. Cannot wait. <laughs> so the reason the M. Night Shyamalan formula falls apart is that once you've seen it once you know to expect the big twist at the end, so you can't help spending the first two and a half acts of the movie trying to figure out exactly what the twist is going to be and then worrying that you'll be the last horse across the line among your group of friends to figure it out. And then it comes, you're not surprised because you've been working on it the whole time, and then the movie's over. Third act? Wait, there was a third act? No, there was no third act. And so... The best thing I can say about it is that it was only an hour and a half long, unlike the Steve Jobs movie. And I guess overall you could say it was a good story and that it had a script, unlike It Follows, which we reviewed last time. So if we're talking horror movies, it was a fantastic horror movie. 
so I, I'm not sure you can say it was a good story. Like I said, I, I think it was there are ways in which it was a socially irresponsible story, and he should be a little ashamed of himself, but we'll get into that in the spoiler section. So it's not worth your money. The end. <laughs> I All think right, we um, need to talk about act structure. There's clearly a third act. There, yeah, let's do it. There is yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, the third act is the speech. No, it's, nah, never mind. Yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> All right. After a scathing review from Josh, Chris, what do you have I to know, say? You're surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the twist in this movie uh, was crazy. In that um, M Night Shyamalan has made actually a fairly decent film. <laughs> and I was actually quite shocked. I enjoyed Yay, myself. Hey, good. Um, I had a good time. Uh, obviously, this this is this is a silly film. It's uh, you know not taking itself seriously in any way, shape, or form. It's over the top, especially the kid actors. You said you enjoyed their performances, but the I really found boy. them the little boy. Yeah, I just found them both pretty over the top and definitely directed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it definitely Absolutely. felt like. Okay, this is how you as a cool kid are going to speak now so the audience thinks that you're silly but you're still smart and you know I just it just felt a little too trying too hard. Obviously, I the moment that happened especially uh, I blame that more on the script than the performance, but yeah. On the train or was it a train? Yeah, on the train on the way to grandmother's house. You know, and they were befriending like the uh, the ticket taker and all that kind of stuff. Those scenes just felt really corny. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, what am I in for? So my expectations went from maybe this will be good to this is already terrible. And then as soon as they got to the house, I felt like things got better uh, and better and better and better. And to 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 Josh's point, I really wasn't looking for a twist because the last what two or three films that he's directed haven't had one. I must have missed two or three films. Yeah, yeah he, he hasn't had a you, twist. You didn't in, miss him. You didn't miss him. He had yeah, after, yeah. yeah. After Earth. After uh, Earth, there was no Last twist. Last Airbender. Last Airbender, there was no there twist. Was Shyamalan movies? There was another one yeah. before oh. that, too. Yeah, he hasn't had a I twist. I take that in, back. He's made many more terrible movies yeah, than I knew about. Those has. movies are <laughs> terrible, but there were no. There has, he hasn't done a twist in probably six or seven years or so. Yeah, exactly. And so I felt this was much more in the vein of a film I quite enjoyed, a small movie called Devil that came out, I think, four or five years ago, yeah, um, which was, you what? know, was more of a claustrophobic film, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. He yeah, produced that movie. Yep. Uh, he didn't direct it. That is but not good. Please. You didn't like no. Devil? <laughs> oh, it's awful. Oh, really? It's God. not I'm awful. Shocked. Yes, it's, it is. it's not oh, awful. Man. I actually enjoyed it just because it was different than I felt. It was is it, than is it San up. Andreas awful? That's the question. <laughs> hey, it's a running oh, gag. It's still it running. It's still running. Bringing it back. Anyway, all right. So anyway, that, that's bottom line for me. I, I, I can get into spoilers and talk a little bit more about um, you know specific plot points. But I feel like the movie justified itself pretty well in that, and I was listening to another podcast, I didn't really think about this, but they brought up the point that, you know, this is, most of this is shot with two cameras, so we get coverage, which you don't normally get in found footage films or in even, like, fake documentary films because, you know, there's not normally that second camera there. And so the, just the, the premise itself, the fact that she wants to shoot a documentary, there's yeah. a reason why, it just felt a little more believable. Most of the time in these found footage films, I always just am like, oh, what is this? Why, you know, there's no way no normal person would do this. Why is the camera still on? All that kind of stuff. Here, there felt like there was a reason why. She's, you know, ca- capturing this stuff and, and wanting to retrace her mother's steps. So anyway, I thought it was a pretty well, it, it established itself. It, it gave it a reason, a credible reason for this, this movie to exist. 
Um, and so for that reason alone, I wasn't distracted by the fact that this was a found footage, quote unquote, slash documentary, faux documentary style thing. Um, and I just was able to enjoy the story and kind of get creeped out by it. I, I as well, uh, Chad, saw this alone in a movie theater. Yeah, right. Go with anybody. <laughs> um, it's not scary. It really isn't. But it is kind of creepy. So anyway, that's uh, that's what I thought. I'll get into, like I said, spoiler-ish stuff later. But overall, I actually had a good time with it. Yeah, I got to agree with Chad and Chris. Boom uh, in your I... face, Josh. <laughs> I'm so, so shocked. I'm the only one. <laughs> so this, I, I hesitate to call it a good movie. Um, right, yeah. It's just surprisingly not horrible. Um, <laughs> and so that's sort of the best I can say about it's it. It's the Daniel but, Seal of approval right there. <laughs> right there. That, they can use that for the uh, for the DVD, by the way. Mm-hmm. So Surprisingly <laughs> not horrible. <laughs> so... I I left the movie and, uh, happy, and I left the movie entertained, um, and I really didn't expect to do that. I was one of those M. Night Shyamalan fans for the longest time. I really I tried to stick with him. I tried to convince myself that I liked Lady in the Water for the longest no, time. you did it. You did yeah, it. Yeah, and then I... And then I, I was yeah, the only person who thought that movie wasn't terrible. There you just go. See, interjecting that. That, that movie is awful. What's wrong yeah, with Josh's terrible. scale is broken. It is. I rewatched it. I rewatched it. And yeah, I, I can't make an excuse for liking that movie. But but anyway, so I, I really went into this with even lower expectations than nor- normal. I thought the trailer was horrible. And so as the movie started, it was still horrible. Uh, the beginning of this movie is some of the worst I've ever seen. Um, the dialogue is just horrendous. And you have to be so out of touch with, I, f- I feel like I sound so old saying this, even though I'm not. You have to be so out of touch with the youth and, and pop culture to write children the way uh, they're written here. Uh, <laughs> Swerve, no, Daniel. Swerve. <laughs> no, exactly. Although, exactly. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> no, <laughs> no kids talk like this. I mean, it was just unbelievably hokey and terrible and just unbelievable. And and I, I couldn't stand it. So I, as the movie for the, probably the first I don't know twenty minutes of this movie, I was almost angry at how bad it was. But as the plot started to kick in, as mm-hmm. stupid and goofy uh, as it is, the the scary bits, the the you know it's not it, it's not that scary in any way, shape, or form. But there's you know there's some nice little jump scares yeah. here or there. So it was it was effectively. Creepy in parts, and the kid actually, even even though he was written horribly, he had some funny jokes. He did. Um, so I laughed, and I laughed. I was creeped out at a few points, and um, I, like uh, Chris was saying, I wasn't really looking for much of a twist. I thought the twist would simply, well, I guess we'll get into that later. But I, I wasn't looking for much of a twist. So when when it happened, what I... twist? I don't, there is no twist. <laughs> There's no twist. Everybody, no twist at all. So. Anyway, it uh, it was just it was it was a, an okay film. It wasn't terrible, and um, you won't be mad that you saw it. That's that's pretty much the highest praise I can give it. Um, I was just I was surprised that I didn't hate it, and um, and I don't think it's an easy film to hate. Actually, I think that should go on the DVD. I was surprised <laughs> I didn't hate it. <laughs> so, Chad, uh, should people go see this movie in theaters? I think you should. I think this is the kind of movie that is only going to have, if it has any impact on you at all, it's going to require a massive screen, hopefully an audience of some sort, and great sound. I imagine 
watching this movie at home would not would not have anywhere near the impact. But if you if you don't if you don't like horror movies, this isn't going to change your mind. But it's yeah. Yeah, you should see it. I, I liked it. I, I, I was entertained. And I think that if you if you like either M. Night Shyamalan's style of filmmaking or if you like thriller slash horror movies, then you can do a lot worse than this. This is not like a Sinister 2 or an Insidious 7. You know, it's not going to be one of those kind of things. This is, there's more thought and craftsmanship in this one. So I think, yeah, I would, I would say see it. This is one of those where if you don't see it in the theater, I don't recommend seeing it at home. So how about that? Josh, I'm so no. curious. I'm so curious. <laughs> Don't even ask him. <laughs> no. Should they see it in theaters? No. 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 <laughs> All right, moving on. Chris, should they see it in theaters? I, I, I agree with Chad. Actually, as I was watching this movie, I have a, a couple of good friends uh, who we go see uh, the paranormal activities uh, every year um, just because we have like have silly fun it's you know obviously we know they're not great movies but it's just something we do and i kept wishing that i would have been with them while i was watching this it is definitely a social silly good time uh and so if you're looking for that i'd say there's no better place to do that than the theater i I saw it by myself but i was in a theater filled with people and they all seem to be having a really good time with it especially some of the gross out moments there's there's a moment in this movie later on yeah. uh, that something that happens to one of the characters that i thought for sure <laughs> half of my audience was going to puke um and so uh, you know it, it it's good it's good to see it socially i think uh in a theater if you can do that then yes go see it yeah totally i got nothing much more to add i saw it just the way Chris did with a big pack theater and some teenagers down the row for me uh, who were uh, hamming it up. And uh, it really did make it a little more enjoyable. So I totally agree. Probably if you watch this at home by yourself, you will probably hate it. Uh, uh, but <laughs> probably see it for what it is. <laughs> see it for what it is. <laughs> well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> it's probably true. Uh, so, but if you, if you can still catch it in theaters, it's only been out for a week or so at the time of this recording. So yeah. And let me uh, say too, I, that this was, this was made on a budget of $5 million and yes. it doesn't look like a $5 million movie. It looks yep. great. Uh, and it's already made as of today, almost 30 million. So it's, it's a it's hit. A, it's a hit. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's move into spoilers. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Well, you look nervous. Is it the scars? You want to know how I got them? There's so many places it would never occur to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führer's brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. And he's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. Yahtzee! <laughs> <laughs> That was so so great. Come on. Her performance was was outstanding. I don't care what anybody says. It it was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Like, would you mind getting in the oven to clean it? Like, it was so like Gretel. So yeah, it was exactly playing on those those fairy tale fears. That that sequence that hide and seek sequence under the stairs was awesome. Are you kidding me? That was fantastic. 
It was good. It it's, was good. It, it all uses the mechanic of the of them holding those cameras in such a way. It's yeah. It's really well done. I thought it was really well done. So I think we should compare notes sure. so that we can all find out when each of us figured out the actual twist. Honestly, I I, I wasn't really. I wasn't. Like I said, I wasn't looking for a twist. Really? Same. Really? Same. You went into a Shyamalan movie not looking Josh, for. It's because he I hasn't done. Dead. He hasn't done a twist in almost a decade. That's what Gen- we're saying. Genuinely, I, I didn't. I, I I was honestly I was looking for more of a supernatural thing. Um, and so I was really off base. Um, pretty much. No the wonder end. I thought this movie sucked. Now in my notes, I knew, I I didn't know it early. I knew it like right before, like when when he held the thing up to show the laptop uh, to show the things. I was like, oh god, they're not his grandparents. Yes, that, right. uh, So you oh, know at yeah. that point, but I did. But before that, I mean, I, you can't help but kind of guess. So I was thinking along the way. I was like, so. Is her mother like actually on a cruise? Is she close by? What happened on the day? You know, so I, I had a little bit of that at the beginning, and then I was, and then I just let that go. And so, no, it, it didn't, it didn't ruin it for me. Yeah, then, I, 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 I thought the twist that. was going to be something about why they're crazy. Like I thought it was going to be, uh, they're demonic. Oh, they're, I don't know, something happened to them, and now they're crazy. I, I wasn't looking for. Uh, I really did feel like it was unexpected i really didn't see it coming so i when it happened i i was digging it i loved it yeah okay so that actually is the perfect segue into my biggest problem with this movie okay and that was i was like a a little if not more than a little sad for a good part of this movie and maybe not for the reasons i was supposed to be before i guess the twist i was sad and a, a little angry about how dementia was being exploited and used to create jump scenes and creepiness in the movie. And then after I guessed it, I was less sad and even more angry because you know there are going to be people who leave the theater and have, whether it's conscious or subconscious, this stigma about schizophrenia and schizophrenics in general when you know the actual disease has this Josh, huge spectrum. Dude, stop being yeah. so politically correct, man. Politically correct? <laughs> come on, Chris. Dude, Mental on, illness you, is dude, completely that, misunderstood in society. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree like with you. And exploit it, and it's ridiculous. It's I don't, not a psych okay, gag. Then don't. Well, yeah, right. Come on, then don't watch Psycho. Don't watch Michael That's Myers. Right. Don't watch. I mean, that, that this is a horror film, like. It's the corner on the market. I mean, this is obviously this is this is not meant to 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 give out a card and say you know all all crazy people are lumped into this. This is just saying here's a an, a movie. This is just a film. This is a fiction. I, the, the, that's crazy. It follows yeah. and Saw are also horror movies that don't dehumanize people who have a disease. They're criminally insane or they're supernatural. You can have a horror movie without. Bringing in real people who suffer from a disease into it. Yeah, they were that's also. All saying. They were. They were. Okay. Well, th- that's that's fine. I, I understand that you want to be more more sensitive to that. If if that's where you, where you want to take it, that's that's your own prerogative. But I don't think that's what Shyamalan a was trying to do, uh, or b really honestly did. Uh, this is this is again a popcorn film. Uh, I don't I don't think you walking out of this movie thinking uh, my my creepy grandparent is obviously going to turn into a killer because I just watched this movie. I don't, I don't think you're thinking it consciously, and that's the problem. I, th- I think you. I think um, this movie 
preys on a fear that we already have. Correct. That's exactly right. This that's this is, a, right, and that's the problem. No, that's not a problem. What do you mean? People. So, so everything is off limits. I mean, come on, Josh. At some point, you have to be able to have the creative license to tell a story. That's right. I mean, so I can't make fun of anybody. I can't. I can't portray anybody that's not perfectly whole. The whole point of a story intention is that you have to have some sort of construct that allows the story to happen within it. So, I mean, what if, if this is off limits? Everything's off limits. Well, I mean, where do we draw the line of what we can and cannot use? No, I just, you know, I just named two horror movies that don't, I think, do it in the same way that this movie does it. Yeah, but you hated It Follows, so that doesn't count. You can't cite it. And I also hated <laughs> Saw, but that doesn't matter. I hate horror movies. Well, Saw, Saw had an old white man, so should we not have old white men as the bad guys anymore? Because old white men might actually have a real issue and a problem. Like, that's wow. crazy. <laughs> and he had a disease, so we can't make fun of people that have Yeah, disease and he was either. sick, yeah. too. He was cancerous. And I mean, come on, you can do that with anybody, any any. In any any place, you can say, "Well, I'm going to apply now this to what he's trying to say." It's, I think it's. A, now, I think you're stretching, honestly. Yeah. Now let me say this in defense of Josh. I appreciate the sensibility that, from where he's coming from because I do see how, I do see how just a very high level object reading of this could be that that it is insensitive or offensive to the elderly or to the you know to the diseased. But I do think that you have, in this specific case, I, I feel like that's a stretch. I feel like you're having, you have to reach for it to, to get all the way there. I see, in one sense, to be honest, um, I see where you're coming from in that I don't like Shyamalan movies and maybe I was looking for something to not like. But on the other side of that, she's like reading Wikipedia on, on the internet on the laptop where they're not supposed to have Wi-Fi, but let's forget about that part. <laughs> and, and she's reading about, yeah, you notice that. She's reading about schizophrenia, trying to explain it, in, and sundowning, and trying to explain it in scientific terms. And then by the end of the movie, the audience has gotten the message that, A, you can't be rational about this because it's evil, and B, that the fake grandparents have escaped from a mental hospital. And to me, that's just, I, I, I know, I know that mental hospitals are used as creepy in the cultural zeitgeist. And I think that's part of the problem just because, especially schizophrenia, since they mention it by name, is such a poorly understood condition. And I don't know, I, I just don't think it helps. I mean, I, maybe, yes, I'm being overly politically correct or oversensitive, but I don't, I don't think that someone like Shyamalan who has a history of weaving moral tales in his movie just I don't think it's a good good decision for him to be making this kind of undercurrent in his movie I honestly I don't, don't I, I think he could do better things I honestly don't think that I mean I mean again like just me watching this film I never felt like that was this that was the story he was trying to tell I felt more like he wanted to create a creepy place where you should feel safe and suddenly turn that into a place that you have no idea what's going to happen next. And I think right. he did that He's pretty right. effectively. You have dementia. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. But I, again, like this is also something everybody can relate to or might relate to Josh. And so I think that that's even creepier. You know what I mean? Like you're sitting there obviously putting yourself into the, the situation that's happening 
you hear the the little girl trying to explain all of this stuff away and so it becomes almost like you feel like okay well so if they're if they're that way and then i should be okay with it even though i find it to be creepy i mean let's be honest even if they weren't psych- like criminally psychotic and killing people right that still is frightening right i mean you would agree with me on that the the, the what they were doing is still frightening it's still scary to walk out and see your grandmother scratching at the wall and so that is relatable in a way that makes it even more scary, I guess, is what I would say. And that's why he uh, attached onto it, and I think that's why it's so effective. Exactly. That's why it's effective, and that's why I'm bothered by it, because it is, it's a, but, schizophrenia is a scary thing, and these things are scary things. Yeah. But I don't, want the, I don't want the leap to be there for people to say, well, this has happened to people I know, therefore this might also happen. How about you, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I... I I have to disagree with Josh. I mean, I I, I see yes. the connections. I, I see the connection, oh, but I I just don't. <laughs> I I just don't see that. That I, I agree with what Chad said earlier. Where is the line? I mean, you know, there's there's at, at a certain point these things happen. I know it's not the vast majority of people who have uh, schizophrenia or dementia or whatever uh, are killers, but I don't think that's what the movie is trying to say. Is that if you have schizophrenia, you are gonna kill somebody or if you, if you know somebody who has schizophrenia you should be afraid I, I think that's a big stretch um and i don't I, I don't think it does a disservice uh specifically to anybody who has mental health i think um it's just a, it's a story of something that happened to these people and yeah. uh, and another okay. another reason i think it's kind of a stretch is because up until we get the twist where we find out that they are not his grandparents and that they're from the mental hospital it is very strongly hinted that something supernatural could be happening. So up, yeah, and up to that point, it is clearly ambiguous, clearly, but it's ambiguous as to whether is this some sort of demonic thing? What's what's happening, right? Or an alien or an, thing? Right. And, and, oh, the way, was- and, and the way that they move with the different, right, all the different things that they say in their interviews is intentionally misleading to, to keep you off track. So I, that's, that's another reason why I feel like that's kind of a stretch to just to point to that motive. All right, so let's move on from that topic because I feel like we've talked about that to death. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, wh- is there anything else that we guys found interesting about um, spoilerly events? I, the, the thing I was talking about before, obviously, was the fact that this dude – pooped his pants and <laughs> rubbing it all over oh, the boy oh man that was yeah. horrifying yeah. and like so gross and yeah the, the entire audience was just uh yeah exactly i really liked the um i liked the use of the night vision light on the on a camera in the dark room i think that it, it's used to great effect as far as like creating tension because you're always exploring the frame knowing that something just off the frame is standing there or is waiting and, and so i just like that mechanic but the the one thing that i did not like that you talk about uh not the one thing one of the things i didn't like is how the foreshadowing in this movie is so on the nose and is so blatant yep. that it it really takes you out of the story you know when they're all telling their stories about I did this and then I froze and then, you know, and then the girl, uh, I can't look at myself in the mirror and all of that stuff. That's definitely an M night Shyamalan. So on the nose, just come on. That's just like the, um, the water and signs. That's just like, I don't, 
Spoilers for all. Remember, movies. remember the Shyamalan formula I introduced yeah. you to. Yeah, no, you're right. You're you're totally right that this is a Shyamalan movie. There's no doubt that his technique is shining through in every frame. Yeah, I mean, he's such a gifted filmmaker when it comes to composition and just tension. tension. You said tension. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, it's true. Just the little things when you know she's out out uh, outside of the room, out uh, by the door, and she's standing close by, and the little girl, and you're waiting on a hit on the door, just all those things. 20 seconds happens and no scare comes, but in that moment, it's super intense. One of my favorite moments too in this film was when they were quote unquote playing outside, like pretend like we're playing. And you like that, that, that moment was creepy and crazy because that's that moment that, you know, they know, you know that they know, and you know that the grandparents also might know. And it's just, Oh, what's going to happen next? That 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 whole sequence leading up to the conclusion, the climax of the film was pretty great. M. Night Shyamalan is clearly far more skilled as a director than as a writer. The writing was just no doubt. Oh gosh, it was so horrible. Yeah, uh, but he wasn't very good in um, After Earth. You know what I mean? Like I don't know that yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, can't deny that. Well, I hated at, at the very, very end of this movie, especially uh, they had they were having the supposedly emotional moment uh, with the mother as um, the daughter was interviewing her and she was ta- telling the story of her uh, of her parents and all that stuff. And, you know, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't as emotional as probably he wanted it to be, but it wasn't horrible. You know, she was just telling this emotional story and we got the subtext, you know, oh, I shouldn't have been uh, so mad at my parents. I should have kept in touch, blah, blah, blah. What made me so mad is that she specifically <laughs> says the don't, don't hold on to oh the hate. <laughs> yes, and then more or less in the last yes. five minutes. And done. then it shows B-roll of the dad oh, with the kids. <laughs> that was that was oh, over the top. I was silly. like, cause it, it was working. It was again, not great, but it was like it was like okay, you know, that works as an ending. Okay, and then she says, "Don't hold on to hate," and I was ah. Oh. But but then right after that, when the the little kids rap at the end was come on, that was cute. Come on, yeah, no, I that know. was cute. It was cute. It and then cute. he did the little whatever is whatever the you know the he, instead of cursing, you know he does yeah. the, oh, yeah. the, the, the the celebrities Female names. That stuff's funny. Come on, guys. It was that it was, was so funny. it was funny. Yes, it was funny. But it just it kept making me so mad that uh, how out of touch you have to be to to think this is a believable kid because this is trying to be a believable movie. It's trying to be realistic. And these kids are just so uh, f- facades. They're so fake. Like, it was just killing me. I couldn't stand it. So you, you, you think that at first, and I thought that at first. But these kids are supposed to be 15 and 13. And 13, yeah. I th- and when I you're 15 them. and 13, you're fronting. Let me yeah. just put it as yeah. you would I mean, put it. No, I, I agree, Josh. <laughs> I totally agree. I, bought, I even bought the pretentious 15-year-old. You know, now some yeah, of the I didn't lang- want to, but I did too. Some of the language that oh. she uses, she probably wouldn't. But but if you when when you're 15 and you think I you know more than everybody else, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I bought it. I really did. I did not at all. Yeah, I, think, I, I, think I thought it was, it was more- terrible, and I did not like the kids. But when you think of like my kids, only one right now, but I can I can project, <laughs> and you know, it's can kids you, are kids and. <laughs> You can't really put yourselves in their shoes anymore, sadly. Yeah, no, I, I know a lot. I have a, I have a younger brother that I am almost 19 years older than he is, and I remember very vividly when he was an early teenager, some of his friends and how they acted, and I was like, 
what? I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> so I, that's why, you know. All right, but I'm going to pull this card. I'm the youngest one of all of us oh, here come on, by wide margin. True. And uh, and I, I'm heavily involved with kids, uh, with teenagers specifically, and they do not speak the way these kids speak. They don't act the way they act. I agree. I, I get the fronting thing. I get that, you know, kids are trying to be more grown up. I, I, I do see that, so I'll, I guess I'll grant you that, but... Just the language that they were using, the way that swerve, girl, like that was oh god, that was. It, it is about ten years old. Yeah, it just like so ten year old slang. Yeah, I, I couldn't get over that. So, but but you know, all in all, I still like the movie more than Josh. So there you go. Well, that's not hard to do. <laughs> no, in anything. It's true. You're listening to the Screeners podcast. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Screeners. If that wasn't enough of an argument for you, head on over to Facebook at Screeners Podcast. Email us at ScreenersCast at gmail.com. You can tweet us. I'm sure we have, you know, a Twitter handle. I think it's at ScreenersCast. Any way you want to communicate or any way you're used to communicating online, you can probably get a hold of us if you try hard enough. So give us a shout out. Leave us some love on iTunes and we'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.